we've pinpointed 1 Corinthians 12, 7 as our primary kind of launching text. Here it is in front, uh, behind you. You have it on your Bible and your phone there as well. And I want to look at this verse one more time because I want us to think about how this verse is, um, how do we apply this? How do we live this out? How do we watch God unleash his gifts in our life? Notice I did not say, how do I find my gift? Because I am more and more of the, I don't want to say conviction, but I'm more and more of the strong opinion that our gifts actually find us. That we almost stumble across God's gifting in us as we're serving others. I'll explain more. But as we look at this kind of what I call knockout verse of this paragraph, this real peak of the uh, chapter, I want you to be asking yourself, okay, how do I live this out? How do I apply this? How do I begin to see this and experience? Here's verse 7. It's the summary of really the paragraph in the chapter. Most commentators would say it's the peak of the paragraph. Here's the verse. Read it aloud with me, would you? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In this verse, we see three things. We've talked about them this month. Unity, variety, and profitability. In the unity, we see that they're all given by the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. You see this, of course, um, in the paragraph, but especially in this verse. It's, it's the display of the Spirit. It's God going public. And yet we see variety in that each person's given this manifestation and this manifestation can be different as well he lists that out in verses 8 through about 10 but we see it's profitable in that as each person is gifted and the spirit is manifested that then the the common good is benefited the word there coming from the word which are all word symphony so lots of instruments different sounds it's a lot of people involved but when you hear it you hear one beautiful piece of music right so what's happening here is unity, variety, profitability, all in this one verse that describes what I say in the most succinct fashion, spiritual gifts, or to be most textual with you, the manifestation of the Spirit. God going public, the display of His Spirit, seen. Now, if you were to back away from this, you would say that this, these same three things are seen in the paragraph. Let's read the paragraph together, okay? I'll read it, you follow along. But here, the, notice, look for, the, look for the same things again. Unity, variety, and profitability. I'll begin in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Again, unity, variety, profitability. And I would contend that if you were to back uh, out even further to the chapter's perspective, you would see the same three things again flowing through Paul's 
description of spiritual gifts. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. He introduces the whole idea with this, with this topic of, with this uh, line saying, now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual matters, don't be uninformed. And then he concludes in verse 3 by saying this, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So no one confesses Christ. No one serves in the ministry of Jesus in this proclamatory way. No one gives glory to God in any fashion unless the Holy Spirit is empowering them. So there's unity, there's variety. If you go to the end of this chapter, about verse 25-ish, the profitability is here. It says there's no division in the body. The members have the same care for one another. Even if one's rejoicing or if one's suffering, we're doing this together. Do you see this profitability aspect? So in the verse, in the paragraph, and in the chapter, three themes are constantly emerging. Same with me. Unity, variety, profitability. And we love reading these verses, don't we? we in fact, if you're like me, you're probably... Um, enthralled with them because you think, you know, I love this part of the Bible, but I haven't really experienced it very much. Now, you say I've experienced the member care, the same care, and perhaps you've seen those things happen, but when you read these parts about gifts of healing, prophecy or tongues, interpretation of tongues, discerning of spirits, uh, well, I haven't seen much of that, and what I have seen looks pretty kind of eh-eh-eh, right? And so would you agree with me that though we like this portion of Scripture and though we say, I'm enthralled, we experience part of it, but other parts we just aren't sure what they look like. And so we wonder, Todd, how do I as a member of this church of Christ's body and how do we as a church really apply this text on spiritual gifts? It's that question I'm going to try to answer today. I'm going to take a shot at it. And you'll hear me, in all my honesty, tell you what I think um, works and perhaps what doesn't work. And, and where, I'm, where I'm at personally, my goal being this, that I can nudge you appropriately to watching God unleash his gifts in your life. If you were to press on my chest and say, Todd, answer this question quickly, which is hard for me to ever do, but answer this question quickly. How do I experience these, these verses, this text, this paragraph, this pinnacle verse, this knockout verse? How do I? I would say to you, I think it's more scriptural to start with the three words mentioned in verses 4, 5, and 6 than perhaps a man-made inventory or test. We usually run to these tests to find out our gift, and we start with our gift and then figure out how we're going to use it. I think we should reverse engineer that process. I think we should start with asking, where is God working? Because where we see God working, you will see God gifting. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Verse 6 says, there are varieties of activities. The word there is outcomes or results. And it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So it's God who's providing the results the growth as we water and as we plant and as we serve, right? God gives the increase, right? So what I think we should do is start with that. Where is God working? Where is he bringing results and power? Where is he, as verse 7 said, manifesting his presence? And where that is occurring, we should say, wow, 
God's gifting there, and if that's with you, then perhaps what you're doing in that moment is how you're gifted. See, that's reverse engineering the thing. Instead of saying this, well, let me start over here and find out what my gifts are without any idea of the laboratory in which I'm in. I'll just kind of ask all these questions made up by other men and women, figure out what my gift is, and then I'll decide if I'm going to use it. You see, I find a number of problems with that philosophy or approach. Not only one, are we using man-made measurements, but we're also changing ownership. Because who distributes the gift sovereignly as he wills? The Holy Spirit, God. Our question shouldn't be, which one do I have and will I use it? But God, where should I serve and will you gift me when I'm serving? So I think reverse engineering this and realizing that what we're after are the results, the outcomes, the, the power of God on display. When we see that, we can know God is gifting and then we say, wow, well, this, this must be how he wants to use me. Now, you may say, well, Todd, how can you know if God is working? I think that goes to the second word here that's mentioned in verse 5. Varieties of service with the same Lord. The results that God brings will always be results that point to Jesus. The word Lord there is kurios. The word service there is diakonos. In other words, when God gifts you with a charisma, it's the word in verse 4, it's going to point to the Lord. And when Christ is exalted and lifted up, God will bring his results, his power, his outcomes. Does that make sense? Because they're going to point to Jesus and lift up Jesus. And when he's lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. So, so I think there's some credibility to this biblical approach of asking ourselves this question, where is God working? And you can do this collectively or individually, but asking, where is God working? And then say, oh, well, that must be where he's gifting. So I'm kind of nudging you here now. This is kind of the beginning of that process where you were praying for me earlier. I'm pushing on you a little bit. I'm pressing on your chest. Are you asking questions that, about your gifts? Are you taking inventories and, and filling out questionnaires to try to find gifts before you've been in the laboratory of serving? Because I think that's backwards. I think it's more appropriate to ask, where is God using me? As I've been serving, where have I seen his power exhibited? Christ lifted up and God's results magnified. When I see that, that's where he's gifting me. Because he owns the gifts and he gives them as he wills. And if that's where he's gifted me, I'm going to stay right there where he can keep using me. So in, a, in the most succinct fashion, I would say if you want to experience God unleashing his gifts, ask, where is God working? Because that's where he's gifting. Let me see if I can put some flesh on this. Let's say that you're ushering. These are very concrete, simple examples, okay? But I'm going to try to flesh this out for you. Let's say you're ushering. Someone walks in and you notice immediately, they just seem despondent. They seem discouraged. You sense the Spirit say to you immediately, encourage them. And this time you don't talk yourself out of it. You don't do the American thing of analyzing to death until the opportunity passes. You actually act on what the Holy Spirit said to you at that moment because you trust that you hear the Father's voice and that as his sheep you know his voice and he knows you. And so you trust your good father and you say, I will. And so you kind of walk over to that person. 
you put a hand on their shoulder, you say, hey, you seem a little down. Is everything all right? And they begin to share with you just some news they got this week. And you, so you say, can I just pray with you for a moment? And in that prayer, you, you extol God's greatness, um, his comfort, his promises. Then you hand, as a, as a worship, as a usher, you hand them a bulletin, you help them find a seat. And they sit and they say, wow, the Lord is real. They're encouraged. Could it have been in that moment that God gifted you with perhaps exhortation? Or could it be in that moment God gifted you with a word of knowledge? Or maybe even a word of wisdom? Notice I'm asking the question. I don't know which gift God could have used in that moment because the gift's not ushering. (laughs) Are you with me? But in the moment of need, when you chose to follow the spirit of God's leading, he gifted you to meet a need for the common good. I think that's how it happens a lot. And the fact that we're more worried about what the gift is called than the fact that the need is met is worrisome to me as well. I don't care what gift God used in that moment. It could be exhortation, it could be a word of wisdom, it could be a word of knowledge. I'm just glad God met a need for the common good in that moment. And that someone, an usher at First Sunday Church, was willing to follow God's spirit and say, I'm available, use me. And then God gifted in the moment to meet a need. Let me give you another example. You got news, let's say, this week about a, a financial situation in your family, and you're like, man, this is going to wreck us. This is going to put us, uh, this is going to detour us. And so after the service, you come to pray with someone. We have prayer partners here after each week. Some of our pastors are here. And so you come to pray with them. Well, as people are kind of walking by, let's say that, that you hear one of these conversations. You kind of overhear it. And they have a need. You're walking out, and you're like, well, I've got 20 bucks in my pocket. Well, you see them in the cafe later, and you realize you see them, and you think about their need. You heard their story kind of accidentally, but you're aware of it. You can see their concern, and you sense God's Spirit saying, help them with their need financially. And again, instead of talking yourself out of it or analyzing your way away from the opportunity, you just say, you know what, I'll just give them this $20 bill. So you go to them and say, listen, I overheard the situation. I don't know the details, but I want you to know it. I'm sorry that something totally out of your control occurred. It's going to put you guys in a weird way, but maybe this will help. And you give them $20, and they accept it. And they leave knowing, wow, God hears my prayer. Could, could that have been perhaps the gift of giving right there on display in the church? You see, sometimes we think, well, I've got to meet the whole need. No verse says that. Could you have just maybe helped? And could you have encouraged that person and given sacrificially? You did. That's awesome. Or maybe that was the gift of faith. Maybe in your trusting God to meet your need, they were encouraged to trust God further. So could it have been the gift of faith in play? I don't know. Here's what I'm saying. Whether it's the gift of faith or the gift of giving, I'm just glad God met a need. Amen? So gifts explode in places where we are willing to engage with the needs. I'll give you another example. Second grade teachers teaching kids in the student center. And as he or she shares the gospel, as they do every week, explains Christ coming to earth and dying in our place, a second grade child's eyes are open to the gospel. The Holy Spirit in that moment begins to take away the blinders and they begin to see the ideas of substitution forgiveness, reconciliation. 
They don't get it all, but they realize, wow, he took my place. He was perfect. I'm sinful. And yet Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. It's all starting to make sense to them. So they go home. They're asking questions to their parents. Somewhere in the course of that week, that child comes to Christ and trusts in Jesus by faith. What happened in that Sunday school room? Was it the gift of second grade classing? No. Was it the gift of children's worker? No. It was perhaps a gift of teaching to make the Bible very clear and someone's eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So, so I'm not really concerned if it was maybe the gift of teaching. Perhaps that's exhortation in there. We don't know, but I'm glad that the eyes were opening God's Spirit gift in that moment to bring someone to Christ. It could be even someone who's sick. And you know about it. And they're at your house. Maybe they're here in the cafe or maybe they're in the parking lot. They're getting in their car and you're parked next to them and you know they're struggling with an illness. Maybe it's one they were diagnosed with a month ago or maybe a year ago. Maybe they've been told it was terminal. But you sense in your heart, I think I want to pray for them and just ask for God to heal them. You're not claiming to be a healer, but you're not afraid to ask God. And so you say, before you get in your car, could I just, could I just pray for you that God would heal you? Would that be okay? And of course, who's going to say no to that, right? So you put your arm around them and you just pray that God would heal them and what if they were to call you the next day and say, that disease is gone? You say, Todd, that sounds crazy. Really? Listen to this story from one of our partners just two weeks ago. You know these people. I'm not going to mention their name because of where they're located. But they're serving the Lord in a faraway country that's um, closed to the gospel. The partner here writes that he took the granddaughter of one of the folks in their village to the doctor, and the doctor pronounced that her right eye was dead and nothing could be done. Even when the flashlight shined directly in her eye, she could see nothing. We were all obviously disappointed, but on the drive home, this is the partner writing, I shared that the earthly doctors were not able to do anything, but when Jesus lived on the earth, he healed people with all sorts of sicknesses, including a lot who were blind. In fact, he was called the great doctor. And so our partner says to this girl who they call Joy in this article, I believe he can and wants to heal you, Joy. And so he prays, Jesus, come and give Joy's eye a zap. Heal her eye. The next day, that's exactly what Jesus did. When Joy woke up, she said, Grandpa, I can see out of my eye. So to test this, they covered the good eye. And she began to label things she saw. A shirt, a pot, your hand, a door. And she shouted, I can see, as they showed her all the household items. Isn't that awesome? You see, I don't think that that missionary, that partner said, well, I'm not a healer. I can't address that need. I think he just said, could we pray in this moment for God to gift you? And if he chooses to and wills to, we'll all rejoice together. Do you see what I'm getting at? I've taken pains to try to give you examples of, of how I think God unleashes his gifts. It's, and I just want you to hear me well. I'm not anti-questionnaires. I'm not against inventories. But they're not the best first step. They may reveal things about your personality. They may tell us things about how we're wired. But here, here's the best first step. Where's the need and how can we meet it? Let's just jump into the fray of relationships and needs and ask God to powerfully show up 
And then as he sovereignly wills, he can and will gift us for those moments. And then we'll see God just unleashing his gifts in our body. The problem is not that you don't know your gift. The problem is not that I don't know my gift. The problem is we don't take the time to actually ask God to meet us at the intersection of our needs and his will. In fact, I would say many of you are like me. You tend to talk yourselves out of the very opportunities where God could actually manifest his presence. You know that? Because when the Spirit speaks to you in your good old American way, you just commit yourself that's not the Holy Spirit. And you analyze it to death until you're paralyzed. And you don't do anything with it, and then the, final, the need moves away, or you drive past the house, or you don't feel convicted any longer. Oh, good, I'm over that. And no wonder we miss opportunities for God to show his presence, for him to go public with gifts, it's because we refuse to intersect at moments when the need is great and God is ready to show up. So yes, this is a little different than perhaps the typical one, two, three sequential process of take a test, answer the questions, find your gift, and then see if you can use it somewhere. I think it should be reversed. I think we should say, God, I'm available to serve wherever you need me. And then would you gift me to help meet those needs in a supernatural way? Would you show up as only you can? So you've heard that. I think you've seen it. In the scriptures, and in essence, what I'm asking for us is to change, what I wrote down here is to, to change the order of our gift discovering process. When I say we, I don't think we have an official gift discovering process at church, but I think in our minds as American Christians, we've often kind of had this process where the gift comes first, and then we decide where we're going to use it. I'm asking to change that. I'm contending, I'm proposing, I'm urging, I'm poking, I'm <laughs> suggesting that we just get to work for God. And where he's working, we realize, oh, that's where he's gifting. Make sense? Because you can bank on this, where God is working, where he's pointing people to Jesus, he is gifting right there. So here's kind of how I'd put it in a single sentence. And this is real basic and plain, but I think I want you to hear this. From this text, from this paragraph, from this chapter, if someone said, Todd, how do we watch God unleash his gifts among us? Here's what I would say to you. Kind of our take-home truth for today. God's gifts show up, or they're unleashed in the process of our willingness to meet the needs of others. And you cannot escape the fact that the needs of others is a common theme in the text on spiritual gifts. The eye, the hand, the ear, same care for each other, no division. The idea that we're, we're all here for each other and God's spirit determines how he gifts us for the common good. So you can't extract spiritual gifts from the fact that it's designed to meet the needs of others. So wouldn't it make sense then that that we'll discover our gifts as we're trying to meet the needs of others? And I'm suggesting... We flip it. Let's don't say, what's my gift so I can then meet a need. I'm saying, let's meet needs so we can see what our gifts are. There'll be times you probably will say, man, I didn't do that really well. That was a flop. Okay, you can exit that situation then, right? There'll be times you're like, I had no idea that, that God would gift me for that. And you'll stay engaged. 
there's a lot to this. I just want you to see that I think reverse engineering that process and letting these words speak to us will give us much insight about how we see the gifts unleashed in the body. And they're done as we serve the body and trust the Lord to distribute the gifts, not as we still decide what we have and don't have and when we're going to use them. So this pushes against some of you in the way you've kind of been trained. Perhaps it leans against you in the way you've been taught. I get that. I'm in the same boat you are. But I'm going to lean on this, and just pardon my boldness here. I'm going to lean on this and the words in this chapter, in this verse, more so than I am man-made questions or human inventions. I'm going to stay right here, okay? Now, um, let me put this in even a more common vernacular for you. Because I'm, I'm suggesting here that we'll see the gifts unleashed as we just engage in meeting needs. And I gave you some examples, whether it's ushering, uh, you know, giving in some way, children's ministry workers, youth workers. It could be a number of things. The gift is not ushering or cafe working or children's classes, right? Those are opportunities to meet needs, and then God gifts us in those. Let, let me just say it to you in a more common way. Act first, ask later. And haven't we always done the opposite? When it comes to gifts, haven't we asked first and acted later? We have. We want to find all we can out first, and then we'll decide where and when we'll use our gift. I'm saying, let's, let's act first. God, where's the need in the body? I'm going to just engage and see if we can help meet the need. And then as God wills, he'll gift us, and then we can ask later. Oh, so that must be a real gift that God gave or maybe I'm gifted that way on a regular basis. Maybe it was a one-time thing. We can ask all those questions in good conversation and for healthy reasons. But let's act first. Ask later. Why? Because God unleashes his gift in the process of meeting the needs of others. Now, if your heart craves to see this, and by the way, mine does. I think we see it periodically and in, in, in pockets. But if your heart craves to see this, not only in the body at large, but even in your own life, like this, I'm going to use this word correctly, like this willing spontaneity just to hear God's voice and do what he asks and knowing that he'll gift you in the moment. If you long for that, but you're not even sure, like, how do I get there? I'm going to give you about three or four pointers to maybe help you begin to make some progress in that direction based on what we've seen in these verses, Okay. I'll give you the first three, then I'm going to take a chance for maybe, a, I'll take some time for a few questions. Then I'll give you the fourth one, because the fourth pointer is probably the one that's laid me low this week. Something I didn't really notice until just early in the week, and I just was so overwhelmed by it that I thought, I just got to share this. I think it'll help you as well, but we'll save it till the end, okay? It'll be like the cherry on top. Let's give you the first three pointers. They're kind of repetitious, so I won't spend long on them. But I think they will show you kind of where I land. I wouldn't say by conviction, but I would say I land here by strong opinion. Now, they are biblical, but I don't think that, that, that these things are like, uh, these aren't like convictions or doctrine in that sense. So let me just show you where I land. Three pointers to help you kind of see this play out. First of all, just begin to meet obvious needs. This is repetitious. We've talked about it. I won't stay long here. But I just would encourage you to do something. Meet obvious needs 
when I say that, what I mean is take action to do something. So like this morning, if you're around someone and you sense discouragement or you know they're discouraged, would you just stop and say, hey, can I pray for you this morning? It's church, people. I mean, do you think they're going to feel weird if you say, can I pray for you? Come on, right? Why are we so afraid to do what Christians do sometimes when Christians gather? Would you just say, can I pray for you? And you might be shocked how in that very moment of showing dependency on God's spirit, he would gift you in a moment to maybe exhort someone, give a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. So I'm, I'm saying, don't just talk about the need, which is what we love to do. We hear about things, we go out in the cafe or we're at home or small group, and we talk about needs like crazy. I mean, some of you got prayer lists that go for a mile long. And I'm not saying praying's not meeting needs, but sometimes you need to take other action as well, putting feet to prayers. Like maybe giving a $10 bill, writing a check. You know what those are, right? Checks, they're little paper things that you can write them for any amount. Yeah, okay. Taking a meal. I mean, think about it. You know someone who's got a cluttered garage? Maybe they've got 15 kids. They can hardly find time to fix dinner, right? A mom who's just overwhelmed? Go to their house and say, hey, how can I lend a hand? Perhaps that's mercy, the gift of mercy right there. You with me? Someone's sick. Pray they'll be healed. They're discouraged. Someone's confused about Scripture, and you know it. Maybe just engage. Hey, here's some verses that have helped me kind of clarify that. Can I help you with that? God would gift you with a teaching gift. There's all kinds of ways that God will gift us in moments where there are needs, but we have to be willing to take obvious action steps to try to meet them. And you don't have to meet the whole need. Just say, I'm willing to help. I just want to, I want to nudge you to go beyond talk and do something. You'll be shocked at how your gifts that God has given you would be visibly and and beautifully unleashed in the moment of action. All right? Not in the answering of questions, but in the moment of action. Second point I'd say is this. Trust that God's gifts are sovereignly given, not humanly selected. Often, we don't take action because we're, we're not confident that, that we can do what's necessary, or we feel afraid. But can I remind you that it's in your weakness that you're often the strongest. It's when you actually think, I don't, I'm not up to this, that God says, thank you for not being up to this, because I'm fully up to it, God says. And I'm going to use a weak vessel like you to show my power and strength. So just because you're a little timid or afraid or not up to it, trust this. God will gift you as he wills, not as you select or desire. So don't let your fear or your perceived incompetency or your lack of skill push you away from an opportunity where God could actually show himself strong on your behalf. We can say a lot here I won't. Just know... This is probably one, the one, not the one, but one of the areas where I think we have really, we've just, in my opinion, in my opinion, I'll say it again, in my opinion, 
I think we've actually disobeyed this principle in the crafting of all these questionnaires. We've taken ownership of the gifts in a way that's actually unbiblical. We've decided what they should look like and who gets them. And we decide at the end, based on some questions, who's got what? When God says, I will distribute them as I see fit and as I will. So I want to trust him in that, don't you? And just engage in moments and situations with needs and trust him to give me what's needed for the common good. And I'd invite you to join me on that journey, okay? Third pointer, seek and pursue spiritual gifts. Have you ever asked the Lord to give you spiritual gifts? We're told twice in these verses to do exactly that. Now, I want to qualify this with a couple of comments and then we'll take some questions. There are certain gifts that are better for the body when the church is gathered. So Travis was correct last week when he told you that no gift is better than another gift in its value. He's right. But I don't want to say he's wrong. But a a more correct way to say it about the gift's usage is this, that when the body is gathered... There actually are certain gifts that are more profitable for the large group. The main one, Paul says, is prophecy. It's mentioned a number of times throughout these chapters. It's the most mentioned gift, in fact. And Paul says, without doubt, it's the one that is the most edifying gift. So he says, seek spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Why? Because it has the widest effect on people when they gather. Does that mean it's more valuable in essence, all the gifts are important to the body. But when the body gathers, there are certain gifts that have a wide-ranging effect, and prophecy is one of those. So he says, seek to prophesy. Have you ever thought about that verse? Seek to prophesy. So I would just encourage you, pray for God to gift you in a way that would be right for the moment. If the body is scattered through the week, say, God, gift me in a way that will be for the common good, even though we're not gathering on this day or this day. Help me to know how to live and to act and to meet needs and to see your power displayed when we're not together. And then, Lord, give me gifts that would actually be most beneficial when we are together. I call it the body scattered and the body gathered. And God can gift us for either one of those at the right times as he wills. So let's seek and pursue those gifts. Again, just ask God to gift you. I've been praying this for years, and some of you have noticed that. I don't know if all of you have, but for years, I, I pray here in public in front of you, Holy Spirit, would you gift us for this moment? Because I actually believe that he will do exactly that. And I've got a thousand weaknesses on this topic. I've got a ton to learn still, but I deeply desire for God to manifest his presence among us, don't you? Because you don't need my answers. You don't need my solutions. You need God's spirit moving in your life. So God, would you gift us in this moment in whatever way when the body's gathered so that your presence and power is on display? And he says to ask for them, to seek them, to pursue them. So I say we just do it. So those are three simple pointers right from the text to help you kind of get started. If you're wondering, Todd, I'd love to to kind of see God's gifts unleashed, but this is kind of new territory for me. I'm with you. I'm new to it. I've been on a 15-year-plus excursion to try to understand more about God's power in the public realm. I, I don't understand it, but I long for it so deeply.
So before I get to the fourth pointer and we wrap things up, let's see if there are any questions that came in and we'll take it. We'll not take a few, we'll tackle a few because they're probably going to throw me for a loop here. Question, if prophecy is more beneficial when the church is gathered, how are we seeing that? You know, I don't think we see much of that here. I don't think we do. Now, I do believe that foretelling is an aspect of prophecy. This is my opinion here. And so we see some of that. But I think there are a number of things that went into the reason we don't see much of the other kind of what I would call Agabus-like prophecy. Um, and as a continuationist, you know, I, I wonder how is that exhibited and how, how do we see it? Paul said to the believers in, I think it's Thessalonia, uh, Thessalonica, he told them to not quench prophesyings, but to make sure that the uh, prophecies were tested by other prophets. In other words, there's probably a very orderly way for prophecies to come before the church. In 1 Corinthians 14, we know that Paul said that uh, the spirit of the prophets is subject to other prophets, and no more than two or three should prophesy at a time. So there seems to be an orderly way. He says twice, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Uh, God is not a God of randomness, but of order. So there's a way to make this happen. And I shouldn't say make it happen. There's a way to orderly go about this experience. But I personally... Though I have some opinions, it's always been a struggle to know how. and to. So I would say probably we just haven't seen much of that. I've seen two moments of prophecy in our church's existence personally. Uh, they were both for the good of the church. They were given through the leadership of the church uh, from members of the church. And so they brought them to the leaders and said, here, would you weigh this? I feel like God told me this and they had a verse kind of with it. It wasn't special revelation. It was just spontaneous information about the future that proved, once it happened, to be very beneficial to the church. One concerns this building. Uh, and one concerns some staffing changes. So well, we've seen some moments like that. But as far as when we're gathered as a large group, I think this is a quite um, convicting question. I, I, I'm weak in this area. I don't know a lot. I don't know how to make, um, I don't know how to experience all that and I, I feel sometimes the pressure of the American culture leaning in on biblical church. Does anybody else feel like they're rowing that boat? My hand's up in a heartbeat, you know? Like, you got 60 minutes, Todd, get it in. I'm like, okay, let's see if we can make that happen. Hey, hey, Holy Spirit, you got about a five-minute slot over here. <laughs> How does that work, right? And I don't think that's intentional. We're not trying to be weird, but there's just so much of this culture that leans into some of these questions that I've been wrestling with. So uh, I think we see it in the proclamation of God's word. I don't think we see it much in the sense in which there may be other prophets as well. I just don't think we see that much. That's an honest answer. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, let's take another question. Do you, think that God's, do you think that God gifts people with a primary gift then gifts others when needed? Or does he just gift when needed? I would say all of the above. I think uh, God could gift you in a moment when he needs something, a need met in a supernatural fashion, displaced presence, and you may never get that gift again. I, I don't think that's a problem. He may gift you with something that you uh, use, maybe it intersects with a role you have, and you use it every week. He could. I, I think trying to figure out how God does all that in a way that suddenly boxes him in and says, okay, God, here's how we see gifts. You've got to live by this uh, matrix. I don't think I want to go down that road. 
That's why I think the list of gifts in Scripture is not exhaustive, but I'm not willing to try to go beyond the list and tell you what they are. I don't know what they are. I think we have this list, and so we're going to start there and stay there. But could God gift someone in some other way? Possibly. So I would say to you, God gifts in a primary fashion, yes. He gifts in an on-the-spot fashion. He may do both. It may intersect with your role. It could just intersect with the need. Let's just be available. Watch this, watch this. Let's be willing to be available and not so focused on uh, being definable. You see, I think there's a difference between definability and availability. And we've become consumed with definability. Okay, what's the name of the gift? How can I define it? And is it mine? If not, I'm not touching it. I'm not using it. I'm only going to do things right within this little defined parameter. I think a greater talent is to be available to meet needs and then watch God just gift you in the moment if he wills. Okay, fourth pointer, and I'll wrap it up. Let's put a cherry on this, okay? And let's all agree that we're going to get laid low for a moment. God's going to do a wonderful work in our midst because even as I, and I've read 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. I mean, I don't know how many times, I love these chapters because I feel like they're sometimes a million miles away from where I live, to be honest with you. And I crave them. But just this week, I noticed something. That this whole section on spiritual gifts, it's anchored by two things. In chapter 10, right before he gets into this 11 through 14, he talks about doing all to the glory of God at the end of that chapter. And even the idea of the glory of God in verse 31 of chapter 10 is prefacing Paul's desire to see the mission of Christ move forward so that many can be saved. And, and of course, nothing brings glory to God like the salvation of sinners. His glory is on display in that for sure. So here's anchor one. God's glory always in front of us. His mission always in front of us. We're doing everything to the glory of God. Then I went to chapter 15, which follows chapter 14. Imagine that. And I noticed that he says in chapter 15 that he's reminding them of what is of first importance, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised. So here's anchor number two, the gospel. And what's, what comes between the glory of God in the end of 10, the gospel of God at the beginning of 15, what comes between them? This long discussion of spiritual gifts. So it's what I call the divine trifecta. God's glory in front of us, the gospel behind us, and in the middle, gifts. And what's in the middle of the discussion on gifts? It's a chapter on love. I mean, you love reading 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, but it's really not a wedding chapter at all. It's a chapter about church life and how are the variety of the gifts exercised? We have to do it in love. It's the most excellent way. So do you see this suddenly? The reason that we need love in the middle of the gifts is because if we didn't have love for each other in the middle of all this variety, we'd eat each other up. We'd devour each other. We'd run each other over. But it takes selfless, need-meeting, others-centered love for this much variety to be used in one place by God's Spirit. It takes that. And why do we do that? Why are we selfless and other-centered? Because this is how Jesus was to us. 
in coming to us and dying for our sins and being buried and being raised. And what is it that brings glory to God? The fact that Jesus would die for wretched sinners to redeem us to the Father. And so that a group of people could gather together in a place called a church on a weekly and regular basis and give of themselves to meet needs and watch God gift them in that is a miracle to God's glory and to the gospel. So I don't want you to leave here after four weeks and think, man, I've got the corner. I've got, I've got the goods on gifts. You don't have the goods on gifts until you first of all understand they're anchored by God's glory and the gospel. It's not about you and your gift primarily. It's about God's glory and the gospel. And if we were to anchor ourselves in those two things, that God, I want you to be weighty among us. And that weight is felt as we see what you did on our behalf. In the middle of that, that then gives us the right posture to ask God to give us because we wouldn't then use the gifts for, for our own purposes or to get our way or to create an agenda or to, or to steamroll somebody. We'd say, God, I'll do whatever you say. Empower me, empower this moment, meet the need because your glory and the gospel matter most. When that's our prayer, I think we're a church postured for the right unleashing of God's gifts because we're realizing what they realize. That's not the main thing. It's a means to meeting needs. And isn't that exactly what Jesus did for you? He met your need. Amen. Yeah, God met your need. And he brought glory to himself when he rescued and saved your soul. Could we meet needs this morning in a way that would give glory to God and rooted in the gospel. That's my prayer. I'm not ending this morning with a prayer that says, Lord, show Alan his gift. Show Marsha her gift. Josh or Amy, Sean or Bob. I'm not praying that way. I don't want you to pray that way either. I want you to pray this instead. God, show me the nearest need and then for your glory and because of the gospel, help me meet it. Imagine 700 people praying that. God, show me the nearest me. Show me the nearest need. And then for your glory, and because of the gospel, would you gift me to meet it? Now that's when you'll see God's gifts unleashed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.